Good morning. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. It's one of my most enjoyable topics to discuss, the idea of uh, eldership and shepherds and what this looks like for the church and God's kindness to the church in doing so and His marvelous ability to use frail, broken men uh, to lead God's people to a perfect, all-powerful God. So, as we dive into Acts 20, there are so many misconceptions and misunderstandings and wrong beliefs, wrong practices, wrong expectations, both too high and too low when it comes to elders, pastors, overseers uh, of the church. Recently, I heard someone who's doing some counseling for another uh, a friend doing some counseling of, of a couple who go to another church, and uh, then the person doing the counseling, and the, so the counselor called the pastor of that church and says, hey, I just want to let you know I'm counseling this couple. They go to your church. They're members there. I want to keep you in the loop of what's going on. And, and the pastor says, oh, thank, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're doing that. Uh, I'm, I'm a pastor and no counselor. Uh, and I just kind of sat there kind of dumbfounded. Like, <clears throat> um, what do you mean? You're a pastor and no counselor. Certainly, there might be things that you don't know and maybe need help from someone else, or you may need to tag team it with someone else. Certainly, it doesn't mean that because you're a pastor that you're all sufficient, but here's my point. There's a misunderstanding of what it means to be a pastor, Uh, and this is a pastor of a very prominent uh, sized church in the Dayton area. Heard a similar story actually over the weekend, uh, actually yesterday, uh, about another prominent church in Cincinnati where the pastor says, well, I, I don't really get involved in the personal lives of our people. Again, another misconception of, of what it means. And, and you have a church, this church, one of these churches is well over 1,000 people. The other church is probably closer to 15,000 people. And you go, well, what, what's the role of an elder then? What's your role? What are you doing? Sadly, in both those situations, you have, uh, essentially, you have, they have relegated the idea of eldership or pastoring or the office to simply a public speaker and a program manager. Uh, and it's just sad. It's terrible. It's, <clears throat> it's why much of our evangelicalism in the United States is where it's at today. Because we have shepherds who have no idea even remotely close. As, as I think about, I was getting ready to say, 
have no idea what faithful shepherding looks like. I, I, it's kind of a self-indictment. I think, you know, do I even know what faithful shepherding looks like? So that's, that's a thing. Uh, on the other hand, I know it doesn't look like that. So by God's grace, no, it doesn't look like that. It doesn't look like just a public speaker and a program manager. We can hire other people to do that. But what is shepherding? What does faithful eldership look like? So here as we come to Acts 20, what's been awesome is we've seen the gospel move from, uh, from the Jews to the Gentiles. And, the, and this past, sec- past section that we've been in has been about the gospel moving forward, uh, particularly to the Gentiles, to all nations, God's love and desire for all people. And I don't know if you got a chance to listen to some of the... Um, the uh, MLK 50 conference that happened this past week, but it's uh, a bunch of brothers and sisters from all races, or at least many races, coming together to say, you know what, God really does love the nations. God really does love diversity. How do we be a people that promote the same things that God loves? And so we've seen much of God's desire for that very thing here in the book of Acts. And here, we're getting ready, we're kind of at a hinge point here, because starting next week, it'll be this idea of finishing well. Paul and missionary journeys and such, finishing well. As you'll see today, his heart is set on Jerusalem. Um, But it's fitting that you have Paul going from town to town, reaching people with the gospel, discipling people for years, two, three years, sometimes just months, but discipling people and helping them come together as a church. And clearly from what we've seen, he's also raised up elders because now in this passage he's going to call these elders together and have a conversation with these elders. And so it's very fitting that Paul would, Paul would spend all this time going around building churches and then saying, all right, I'm getting ready to leave you all Bring the leaders to me and let's have a conversation. And really you have the first lengthy uh, speaking, if you will, of Paul here in the book of Acts. The first time this has happened to a group of Christians. Uh, Virtually every other time, Paul is speaking to unbelievers. And he's, at least when he speaks at length, he's speaking to unbelievers. He's, He's being evangelistic. Here he is speaking to Christians. And particularly he's speaking to those who are leading the Christians, the elders, particularly here from the church in Ephesus. So we've seen the gospel move in marvelous ways. Starting next week, we'll see what it looks like for it to move towards finishing well. So here in the book of Acts, let's read. We'll read a a, a small chunk and then we'll continue and then we'll read some more in a little bit. But let's start with verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, of course this is Paul, Paul said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, 
constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that None of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Let's pray. Father, may may this time be faithful in honoring you. May you erase the things that I say that are not helpful, not honoring, Father, but may your word move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Really what I want to do is I want to give you three callings of an elder, three aspects or role or responsibilities, if you will, of an elder, and then talk about the implications and applications of each of those for the body of Christ. So here's a, a responsibility of an elder. Now, what are the implications of that for the church, for, for the people? The first responsibility is the teaching of the truth. A teaching of the truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth, right? So help me God. A teaching of the truth. This is certainly at the foundation of an elder's responsibility. Make sure when you think of teaching that you're, that you're not just limiting that to what's happening right now, although this is certainly a big part of it, but the teaching of the truth. Let's, let's talk about what does it mean the teaching of the truth as Paul is talking about it here, and then we'll get to some application and implications of teaching of the truth by elders. First of all, they have a responsibility to, to, to declare all that is profitable. All that is profitable, and another way he says it in this very particular passage is the full counsel of the word. So there's kind of two aspects to that. Declaring all that is profitable, and what is all that is profitable? The full counsel of the word. Now certainly certain passages are are going to yield more fruit in different seasons, in different people's lives, in different corporate bodies' lives, but all of the word is profitable, all of the, the full counsel of the Word. What's his point? His point is to, to, to not overlook things, to not avoid hard things, to not just pick and choose and jump around in such a way that you kind of ignore the things that maybe the Spirit really is aiming for with the body. You could tell kind of what he's thinking here when he thinks of all that is profitable and full of counsel. Uh, or the full counsel of the word, when he gets into this idea that they must be willing to say what needs to be said, even when no one is willing to hear it. He says this phrase, that he didn't shrink back. He didn't shrink back. So when you hear that, you hear what he's talking about. This He's kind of juxtaposing these two things. Uh, to, to not declare all that is profitable in the full counsel of the word is to shrink back. What's he, what's, he, what's he implying there? He's implying that you elders are going to be tempted to say things that are more palatable for the people and to avoid the things that are not. You're going to be tempted to shrink back, but I did not shrink back. 
And he says, because I didn't shrink back, I'm innocent of the blood of all. It's an interesting connection there. That an elder who is, who is not faithful to teaching the word, that then the blood of the people is on them. It means that, another. let's, let's flesh this out, he didn't shrink back, so follow me here. It means that biblical truth will always offend everybody somewhere. Biblical truth will always offend everybody somewhere. The issue is this, when it comes to hearing the truth of God, if I can kind of distill this down to a statement for you. You can either learn to love the humble feeling of loving offense, or you will grow cold, hard, and eventually hostile to the truth. So let me say that again. You can either learn, by God's grace, to love the humble feeling of loving offense. Or, you will grow cold, hard, and eventually hostile to the truth. I'm not going to expound on that much, but just simply to say this. That the word... like. There, there can be and should be this sense of the, wow, that stung, but it is God's goodness to me, right? The loving discipline of the Lord. That there's a, there's a sense of that hurt, but that's good, right? It's, it's kind of a both and. It's hurt because it's my flesh, and my flesh doesn't want to change, but it's good because I have a new heart that loves the Lord, and so I I want this. And the alternative to that is to grow cold, hard, and eventually hostile to the truth. Everyone everyone says, I, I found this common, oh, we want teaching that pierces our hearts. We want teaching that pierces the heart. Just wait. Eventually it will touch that sacred part of your heart, then it won't be so desirable. Eventually it'll get there. That's what the Word of God does. Eventually good, truthful teaching will get there. It'll get around to that part of the heart that is waiting to be offended. And at that point you have two options. In pride you'll fight or in humility you'll ask for help. I mean those are kind of really the, the two options. Here's something Pastor Rusty wanted me to say. I was, uh, it's, so, it's so hard when you're teaching passages like this that you don't make it about yourself. And I just fought, I just, I'm confessing this to you. I just want to fought hard to, to not do that this week. But he said, you need to say this. So here you go. One of the re- realities, like the implications of what Paul's talking about here is that when you are faithfully teaching the word, that this puts a target on your back. It puts a target for Satan to just go after. And it's just easy. It's easy. And so, especially primary teaching, like teaching elders who are out front all the time, it just puts a target on their back. I'm thankful to have two other elders with me to help uh, take some of those, those targets. Uh, also, this is a slightly funny, I, I think. It's, it's, a, it's also irritating, uh, but it's funny. Uh, I've discovered a pattern. It's, it's just, 
again, I don't even know how else to say it, but I can sit in a meeting with Rusty where he says way harder things than I say. And still, I'm the bad guy. Uh, again, it's irritating, but it's also funny. <laughs> like, what is it? Like, what is it that, maybe it's my demeanor, maybe it's my facial expressions, I don't know. Uh, anyways, not shrinking back. Yeah, Greg just said it's true. Well, I'm just going to sit here and be quiet. That's probably still what happened. goodness. It must be willing to say what needs to be said, even when no one's willing to hear it. Not just to say the hard things, but second of all, to say it to be helpful. Like they must teach it helpfully. An elder must teach the word helpfully. Now, that's going to look different in different places with different people and at different seasons and different times. And so that's a very contextualized uh, outworking of that. But nevertheless, their goal is to be helpful. Now, listen, I, I have to give a caveat here. If, if, if your heart is cold, <laughs> then nothing is probably going to be said in a helpful manner. But here's what I want you to see in this helpfully sense here. That truth is not something we believe as an end in itself. Truth, like just communicating truth to you, that's not the end goal. Truth is for the purpose to build us up into the image of Christ. So truth is not an end in itself. Us honoring God by being conformed into the image of His Son, that's our end. Truth is how we get there. And so truth if it's for the purpose of building up, then when teaching truth, truth has to be taught in a way that is tailored by the Spirit to God's people to build them up into the image of Christ. So elders have this responsibility not just to communicate truth, but to communicate truth that is helpful in building the body of Christ into the image of Christ. So many preachers are really good at teaching doctrine. But doctrine is not the end. A heart that glorifies God is the end. Doctrine is food for the soul, food for the heart, food for your character. And truth that builds up is truth, also hear me, that exposes falsehoods. Truth exposes, exposes lies. So what you need to see is truth, if it's going to build us up into the image of Christ, then truth as it comes in exposes darkness. Light exposes darkness. Truth exposes lies. Think of it this way. Truth is like the heat that makes the wrong belief inside of us boil to the surface. That is one of the practical ways in which teaching is helpful. Is it's, it's got to boil some of that falseness inside of us to the surface. Why do you think teaching often hurts? Because our flesh is being wounded. Because something in there is getting boiled out. The, the impurities in the beautiful gold in which God has created us is being brought to the surface. 
And so elders must teach truth for soul health. Elders must teach truth for soul health. I'm, sh- I'm sure sometimes I frustrate some of you. You sit down to ask me a question and you think this is going to be a short answer. I just want a short answer. And then I go off. And some of that's because I just want to talk too much. I, I, I get it. I get it. Yes. But in part of that, at least some of my good desires in that, is because I want to give you truth that is helpful to your soul. Like that's what's most of the time, at least a good bit of the time, maybe most I'm being too generous with myself, a lot of the time, some of the time, we'll go with that, some of the time. Some of the time what is, what is hot on my mind is food for your soul. You're like, dude, I just want to know where we're going to lunch. How do you really feel about that? So elders must teach truth for soul health. Now what's the, what else does he say here? He says that teaching, he says, I, I taught the truth both publicly and from house to house. You just heard me read that. Teaching the truth publicly and from house to house. Elders have the role of both. To teach truth publicly and from house to house. Let me, let me talk about this in a more applicational way. If you want the kind of truth that creates health in you, you need both. You need both public teaching and house-to-house teaching. Uh, okay, what do, what do we mean here? Uh, you need the public teaching ministry of the elders, and you need the private ministry of the Word. Think of that as kind of the from house-to-house. House. Like in the house-to-house house is where you get the kind of application work that takes place in that kind of setting, where you can kind of get more into your life. This is, this is hard to do that here, right? I mean, unless I start saying, hey, hey Greg, this point is for you, okay? Hey, Charlene, this point right here is for you, and you know, I, I, which the Puritans used to do some of that. I mean, I, I'm game, but I don't know that you are. They would have someone come up, the exhorter, who would come up after the sermon and say, hey, Jim, Point two B was for you, and I saw you doing this the other day, and you should. <clears throat> Again, I'm game, but. So we need both, though. We need the public ministry of the Word and the private ministry of the Word. This teaching from house to house in both, they're, they're important. This is why you don't just. Why we as a church, we don't just do Sunday gatherings, or why we don't just do house gatherings or DNA. You need both. You need a time where the elders are teaching the Word in an authoritative fashion where you are sitting submissively under it. But you also need a time where the teaching is being dialogued and applied with specificity from house to house. You need both. So teaching the truth publicly and from house to house. So here's the question, as we think about this, kind of driving towards more application. How are sheep going to know what the truth is? How are sheep going to know what the truth is? Well, certainly, we have the Word, right? We have the Scriptures where you can take the Bible home and you can read it, you know, each day. You can, you can do that. You're allowed. And you can study it and get to know it. <clears throat> but also, 
along with that, along with that, in addition to, necessarily along with it. God has appointed elders, shepherds, pastors to help lead the sheep to the truth. Elder shepherds have kind of two broad roles. One is to exercise authority over the sheep in the sense that we get to direct the church as a corporate body and we get to call your individual lives and corporate life to obedience to the word and all things. But second of all, part of our role, part of an elder's role is to is the truth, is to teach the church what is the truth. That this is truth here, this is lies over here, this is truth here. This is like dangerously close to a lie over here, or this is only half true and half a lie over here. But you see, as a people, just in our culture, we hate this. We're, we're individuals, individuals, we know what's going on. I can figure the Bible out on my, by myself. and That's our, just our temptation. And elders are here to help point us to the truth. You, you realize that if that's their role, God understands that they're imperfect, right? But God still has chosen to do it that way. Just a side note. But here to point us to the truth. Repentance of our wrong belief concerning God and affirmation by faith in the truth concerning God. Listen, if you're honest with yourself, if you're really honest with yourself, <clears throat> deep down you know that your heart is prone to wonder. It's prone to rebel. You know this. If you know this, if you don't, you're blinded by pride. How's that for truth when you don't want to hear it? There you go. If you're honest with yourself, you know deep down this is the reality, and you know this, if that's true, you know that you need authority and you need someone to point you to the truth. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, 17 is a, a wonderful passage. You can go read it later, but this is the idea of obey and submit to your elders as those who will give an account for your soul it says to make it a joy for them as this would be beneficial for you. Here's all I want to say about that passage. That you're supposed to be in a relationship with your shepherds where you have mutual joy. You need to find shepherds you can trust. And you need to take members. I'm quoting someone here. You need to find shepherds you can trust. And then you need to take membership vows so you can be under their direction. To place yourself under their care, under their watch. We'll get to more of what that looks like in a few moments. But for now, because they have this role to teach you the truth and to guide you for your good, and this should be done in a mutually beneficial, if you will, uh, sense where it's, it's a joy for both people. And when this happens, then you will get the truth and it will change your life. So let's talk about some more specific implication applications here for this passage as the phone rings. First of all this, sheep need the humble teaching of elders, not just teaching from church leaders, DNA leaders, 
other church pastors, podcasts, and such. Sheep need the humble teaching of their elders. Those other things are great, helpful, and in many cases, necessary. However, the faithful teaching of elders in that particular body is always necessary and always needed. The sheep need the humble teaching of elders. The sheep need to to submit their lives, your heart, their mind, their hands to the teaching ministry of the elders that God has placed over them. Whatever church the sheep are a part of. Think, think through, you need to think through in your particular life what it looks like for me, for, for you, to prepare yourself for teaching, to respond appropriately to the teaching of the elders. What's it, what do you need? Everybody is going to look different, and, but what does it look like? Does it, does it look like making sure you go to bed early on Saturday night so that you're rested to hear, like starting to your worship preparation on Saturday so that you're ready to hear on Sunday? Does it mean getting formal counseling on something that you're really struggling you just cannot overcome? I know of one person in our church that regularly listens on a Sunday morning uh, live, right? Obviously they're sitting here listening and then re-listens to the podcast through the week so that they can pause it and take notes. I mean, they can't, hey, preacher, pause, right? They can't do that, but they can do when I'm, you know, in the podcast machine thing, whatever it's called. Listen, understand that if the goal of the teaching ministry of the church is not just to teach doctrine, but to teach truth as food for your soul, your mind, your heart, and your hands, then the application of the truth, again, is just as important. So when you're working through decisions in your life, do you think, okay, well, okay, the Lord has taught me through His Word. The elders have taught us by God's grace through His Word, this truth, and here's how I need to make this decision in my life. So I just want you to see that the, the teaching ministry is not an option. It's a necessary component for your health and your good and your children's good. Let me give you a, a warning now. A warning. <clears throat> Be, beware when you're not wanting, not willing, or maybe just disregarding the teaching ministry of your elders. You may be rebelling. And it could be very subtle. I mean, it, it almost always starts that way, right? It, it starts, you don't go from zero to 60 in, you know, in two seconds. I mean, usually it's a slow moving in the wrong direction. But if the word is going to be offensive to you at some point, like you just need to go ahead and bite that reality and go, you know, yes, it's going to be offensive to me at some point. Go ahead and mark it down. I don't want you to live in fear, but you need to think, like you need to be ready for that, to, to see it when it happens. To, like right now, it's, it's like this. It's like this. <clears throat> 
the danger of me being offended and running from the truth is right behind that door. Or it could be behind this door over here. And it doesn't mean that we don't need to walk through that door, but that when I walk through that door and I see it, and it happens, then I'm ready to respond in repentance and faith. Ha! Ah, okay, there's something's going on right there, and it's not good, it's not right. How do I respond appropriately now? So I just want to just give you that warning. They, we, like, your elders could be telling you something that you need, but don't want to hear. Last kind of point of application here, and there's, there's tons, but last point of application is that parents, it is your responsibility to teach your kids how to engage and depend on the teaching well. As they age and as they sit under the public and private teaching ministry of your elders, it's, in, it's just absolutely crucial that you teach them how to listen, how to engage, how to trust, how to think critically, but how to move in a joyful, trusting relationship, that you would fight for that even. That you would fight for that with your kids. That you would come alongside your elders, and your kids and caring for them in that way. Again, lots of application here, but we'll stop there. Elders' responsibility is the teaching of the truth. Second of all, is a careful guarding. A careful guarding. Let's read in verse 28. Paul continues. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. The careful guarding of elders. <clears throat> they, they have to watch for, for two groups of people. Two, like they're watching over two groups of people. The first is themselves. This is part of why we have the conviction as elders that a, that a church should have a plurality of elders. Because the elders are responsible to watch over themselves. That's what Paul's telling them here in Acts 20 is kind of the primary thrust even, is that you need to watch yourselves. The elders have to watch the elders. That the elders have hearts and minds that are prone to wander as well. That they have minds that will fall prey to their own sin of misbelief and unbelief and wrong belief. They can also fall prey to wolves. I mean, Paul, part of Paul's point in watching yourselves is that even among the leaders could arise a wolf. That's why you need a plurality of elders. Well, I would argue in all in equal authority. That way they can effectively and appropriately hold each other accountable. 
But what I want you to see here is that, can, did you see that? The idea here that someone among the elders, someone among the leaders in general, you know, can show themselves eventually as a wolf. And your elders are here to protect you from these savages. That's Paul's call to the elders in Ephesus and certainly to elders everywhere. So they have to watch themselves. Second of all, they have to watch over the flock. So part of watching themselves is watching over the flock, but now more specifically to watch over the flock. This means that simply writing some teaching lessons, managing some programs, and being available when the sheep need you is not enough for faithful shepherding. An elder must be active in the lives of his sheep, looking anywhere and everywhere for a wolf that might arise. Deeply involved in God's people. I mean, Work another point here. First Peter five two says, "Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you." So they're to watch over the flock. What does this mean? What flock? Here's the question: What flock are they watching? What are they? Who are they to watch over? There's a very practical sense in which an elder has to know who are the sheep that are among them. This is why we would argue for the practicing of covenant church membership so that we would know who is under our care and who isn't under our care. Now, we will still love and care for all that God brings across our path, certainly. But we're charged ultimately with the care and protection of the sheep that are among us, the ones that we know are clearly under our care. I get it. It's a little unique. I would say there's a little bit of a unique situation for children who are still in the household of believing and covenanted parents. I don't want to overlook this. We still care for them very practically as though they're a part of the flock. And this obviously takes a shift as the child is given more independence as they move. And, but parents, as your kids age, you must teach them the importance of faithful commitment to the church. And particularly in this context to submitting themselves to faithful elders. So they're here. The elders are here to watch over the flock, to care for the flock, to, to guard against wolves, which is ultimately why. It's a, a guarding against falsehood. It's a guarding against that which is not true. Because why? Because anything that's not true misrepresents God. So at the core is not just the watching out for really, really bad people. It's, it's watching out for those who would promote lies. Quick note here, Spirit is the one who makes overseers. The Spirit is the one who makes overseers, Paul says, who the Spirit has made you overseers. So I just want you to know here that it's the Spirit's doing. It's, he is the one who makes men overseer. We may train, we may equip, we may affirm, we may vote, but it's the Spirit who makes men overseers. And what is an overseer? The, the word literally means one who watches over. One who has eyes to watch over. Uh, as a church that I really appreciate that uh, most often in a public setting, their, their elders sit up on stage uh, during the worship time. And part of why they do it that way uh, is not because it's for them just simply a tradition. 
Uh, but they do it that way because they want to give the impression to build into just the visual perception of the body that the elders are watching over the flock of God. I used to remember as a kid looking up and seeing those chairs, you know. Of course, you always had like an elder in the song leader, right? Uh, or a, the, the pastor, the one pastor, at least in my experience, and then the song leader. Uh, but what is an elder? Or what is an overseer? It's one to watch over. And here's, what, here's what I want, the reason why I bring this up, is if the Spirit makes men to watch over the, if, if the let me back up, if the Spirit makes men to be overseers, then the Spirit supernaturally empowers their watching. If the Spirit makes men to be overseers, then the Spirit supernaturally empowers their calling, their watching in this particular sense here. Practically, what's that mean? The Spirit gives them discernment when looking at your life and the Word. When it comes to watching over the body, the Spirit empowers their watching, their looking, their discernment. It doesn't mean they're perfect. It just means that God gives them this measure of grace that He doesn't give to everybody else. And that's okay. He doesn't need to give it to everybody else. He calls some to watch over the body, and those He gives the power to do that which He called them to do. That is why, at least in part, that it's more than just having an elder when you need them. Oh, I can go to them when life gets hard. Elders don't just sit back and and are available. They're actively watching over the body. Which means more than just organizing some events. Let's talk more specifically about this wolves thing. It's clearly a big, a big item on Paul's heart here. Let's talk about wolves for a few minutes. So now elders are to watch over the flock and how the flock is relating to the truth concerning head, heart, hands. And within the dynamic, there will be those who try to stir people, try to draw people away from the truth. And the Bible calls them wolves. Now clearly, a wolf can come from without. A wolf can come from within. Paul's talking specifically here about wolves coming from within. But there's other examples in the New Testament of wolves coming from without. But let's talk about from without for just a few moments. The idea of wolves from without. So wolves outside of the body of Christ trying to persuade people to wrong belief and draw them away from the truth. Clearly, there's a television station that has lots of wolves on it. I don't think most of you are watching TBN. I mean, we, we realize that 99% of what's on there is just garbage. But let me tell you something that's maybe more practically filled with wolves that you might succumb to more easily from without. <clears throat> Fox News is full of wolves. So-called Christians that have agendas very different than the gospel. Listen, I'm not saying it about every single one, okay? You can be like, whoa, you know Sean Hannity, I love him, he's great. Come on. 
so-called Christians that have different agendas other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, God could care less about republicanism, rises or fall. I mean, God cares, but, but what God cares about is whether or not we build his kingdom. That's what he cares about. Now, he cares about republicanism or whatever, so far as it serves that purpose. But there's wolves in the midst of that that would lure your heart away to believe wrong things concerning God. One of the things that's just heavy on my heart is, is this idea of immigration and, and such. I, certainly vetting and appropriate things like that, but we just want to protect ourselves. We just want to stay away from all of that, and we're just going to have our little huddle over here, and you've been living here for how, well, for who cares? Just kick them out. And that, that's what's some of the lies that are being even spewed by Christians that we would just, okay, well, that's how I'm supposed to believe and how I'm supposed to act, and that's just contrary to God's Word. We're to care for it. We're to lay our lives down for others. That, could be, that should be more thoroughly nuanced. I'm not going to at this point because I don't have time. <clears throat> From within. From within. It's really easy for us to go, okay, well that person is denying the Trinity. Clearly they're a wolf. Okay, I, I get it. They don't believe in the virgin birth. They're trying to get us to believe that. Okay, practically, is that what's going to happen? Probably not. I, I mean, we, we did have some people that was messing around with Messianic Judaism and trying to lure people into that. And by God's grace, they moved on. But for the most part, like, wolves are not going to look that extreme in the body. Let me give you a couple examples of what they would probably look like. The first one is this. Broken wolves. Broken wolves. Joe uh, Carter, he writes for the uh, Gospel Coalition all the time. Talks about this idea of broken wolves. You can go find his article on tgc.org. But it says, truly, they, these are people who really have experienced suffer and, and suffered real hurt and real, real pain, real brokenness. But what happens is these broken wolves are beyond criticism. They move beyond criticism. Let me read to you what he said. Your parents probably taught you from an early age not to harm the already hurting, Proverbs 22, 22. We therefore hesitate to criticize the broken, even if we recognize them as false teachers. No Christian likes to be considered a bully, and the harsh reality is that if you call out a broken wolf, you will be called a bully. This is inevitable, especially if you're a man warning the flock against a broken wolf who is also a woman. Many of us men, including elders, called to protect their flock, remain silent, hoping that one of our sisters in Christ will speak up before the popular and prominent female broken wolves in our midst before they devour another one of our own. But if not, we probably won't speak up. The brokenness of broken wolves often act as a shield that protects them from any legitimate criticism because we, we fear being viewed as harsh or unloving towards them. The result is in failing to speak out. Or the, result to, the result is in failing to speak out. And what happens is we leave 
the women and the men in our church is vulnerable to be ravaged. Now, what I don't want to do, listen, I don't want to do this. I don't want to create a new, like, this fear of broken people. Like, oh my goodness, is that person a wolf, right? <gasps> but again, just know that that could be there. Know that that could be a possibility. Broken wolves, he calls them. The, the next way that wolves can, can look and act in is what I want to call gossip slash venting. Gossip slash venting. Again, what is a wolf? A wolf is someone who stirs up lies and draws people away to their truth. At least what they perceive as truth, right? To draws them away to their lies. Gossip slash it sounds like, oh, you know, I just don't like that about that person or what they're saying. Or I just don't like what the leaders are, are promoting. Or I just don't know that what they're doing is good. And There's a right place to, to sound criticism and such. It doesn't look like gossip inventing. Third way is as I already mentioned, outright denial of faithful doctrine and practices. I mean, that would be clear, but I think that's one that's going to be much more easy to spot. I wanted you to have these ones that are more, more subversive. Also, I should warn you that wolves always have a measure of truth, right? That's why they're convincing. That's why the serpent, you could call the serpent a wolf. The wolf in the garden convinced him because there was a measure of, of, of truthfulness in what he was saying. He, he, he did not deny that God had spoken. He affirmed that God had spoken to them. He affirmed that God was present, that God was alive, that God was there, that God was important, that God was above them. He affirmed all those things in his action to Adam and Eve. But what he did was he twisted. He said, well, did God really mean what he said he meant? So he affirmed a lot of things concerning God. There was a lot of truthfulness that, that the serpent was willing to concede in the moment, but then he twists it. And Eve bites. The next thing you need to notice is that wolves take people away. Wolves create followings. What happens is wolves tell their lies, they spin the truth, they manipulate and they draw people away from the flock. And listen, listen, it's always done in the disguise of love. If they were just walking around, well, I don't like these people, but you should come. No, it's, it's always got to, oh, I'm doing this because I love people, because I love them. No, a wolf does everything he does because he loves himself supremely. And here's the deal. An elder's responsibility is to protect you from these people. And listen, that's a tall order. To protect you from them, to, to keep you from them to keep their influence out of your life. 
Remember, wolves twist the truth. They spin the narrative. Always. Our role is to help watch and to bring you out, to keep them away, to help them move on, to call them what they are. That is our responsibility. We'll get into some application of that in just a second. The last thing I want to say is that elders watch is done in weakness and humility. Elders watching, their watchfulness should be done in weakness and humility. Paul says here, I came to be with you. He says, I was with you, right? I was with you. For us, that can simply mean a measure of I was present. Like my physical being was in the presence of your physical being. I was with you. That's not what Paul means. That's not what the Greek means. What Paul means here is that I was exposed to you. That all parts of my life were open to you. So he's saying, as a leader, that I was exposed. My weakness was before you. My weakness was there. It's where you see the idea of humility is important. Everything in us says, I can do this. I'm good at this on my own. I can save myself. I can fix the situation. And so, when elders expose their lives to the church, you get to see a measure of their weakness. But along with their weakness, you should, by God's grace, get to see the word of grace in their lives. You get to see that it's not about works, but it's about God's grace. And when you get to see that, when you get to see that, it should be an encouragement to take your own mask off. You don't need this mask on. But again, remember, we live in a culture where we want strength and we want expertise. But someone said this, listen, a broken person will convey the gospel much more clearly than a well-put-together and polished person ever. And Keller said this, weakness and humility are important Because truth can be oppressive unless along with the truth comes tears. Listen, Paul is, elders, truth. I was there, spoke truth to you. I did it with tears and humility. What's what's he representing? He's representing a tenderness, a compassion. You see, the gospel, you see, true gospel transformation means I can't be superior in essence and identity over another person. But truth without humility can be used to oppress other people. It can be used to oppress your children. It can be used to oppress your spouse. Well, why aren't you doing this? This is what you should be doing. Okay, well, that might all be truthful, but the way you did it was oppressive because you had a superiority issue. A child, you know, this is what's truthful. This is the way you should act. This is what you should be believing. I love you, my child. I've sinned similarly And this is how God has rescued me. Elders should be doing the same thing. Now true, there can be superiority in role and position, meaning like one over another. Elders are to rule over the body. 
but they do it in humility and weakness. They should. Someone said this, the body should look this way. On the one hand, they believe the truth. They don't compromise the truth. They're not shrinking back from the truth. And yet, when we express differences, they don't take my head off. Now, now listen, I'm going to say this in response to that, that quote. If you're not sure of who you are in Christ and of what the Bible says concerning whatever, any challenge upon that is going to feel oppressive. So I don't want to just give you an excuse to be lazy and understanding and studying the Word and knowing who you are in Christ. But at the same time, understanding that over here, those, particularly elders in this case, have a responsibility to, to be gentle and to, to not shrink back from the truth, even when it might feel oppressive but to do it in tenderness and carefulness and kindness. Recognizing, here's, here's the principle, right? Recognizing where people are at and meeting them where they're at and trying to bring them to where they need to go. Let me give you some implications and applications here real quick. You need the careful guarding of elders. You cannot watch out for wolves on your own. You cannot watch out for false belief on your own. Someone says, you cannot be self-accredited. You need accreditation from outside you. Listen, could you imagine, let me ask you this, could you imagine waking up and realizing one day that you're a wolf? Do you think that could happen to you? Because it could. You cannot watch out for your own faithfulness on your own. You need help in that. I know that's an assault on American pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We cannot do this on your own. This is why pastors need to be in a plurality because they can't do it on their own either. I also want to tell you this too. When it comes to practically guarding the flock, understand that your elders can't always tell you everything. Well, well, church, we need to go this direction. Or we need to, we need to stay away from those lies or those people. Like, we can't always tell you everything. There's times when you just need to trust without the facts. I'd also tell you this. You can also watch. How are your elders dealing with certain situations? Maybe I can learn from the way they're responding Maybe I should do likewise. Or maybe I should at least be humble and ask just in case I'm missing something. And when I say like the idea we can't always say everything, like maybe that would bring us into the realm of gossiping or defaming. That's hard to walk that line. Last point here. Elders must trust in God. Trust in God. Verse 32. 
And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Elders are trusting God. He says, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm telling you, I am trusting God. God's work among you and His word of grace among you. I commend you to trust Him as well. Elders must, as they're leading the church, trust in God. They, first of all, they just need to. They, there's just no way to survive as an elder unless you're trusting in God. I mean, unless you're just a public speaker and a program manager, you can, you can perpetuate that without much trust in God. But to actually get involved in people's lives, to get involved, to get, as, as John Piper talks about, you know, a shepherd who gets dirty among the sheep, like that, that gets down in the trenches and walks through the mud with them. To, to be that kind of shepherd, it takes trust in God. There's no other way to survive. They must trust God, lead the sheep to trust God. They speak the truth. Elders expose themselves in humility and trust the Spirit to do the changing. Again, understanding this, elders understand that the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ himself, is ultimately responsible for his bride and every micro-expression of his bride. They also trust in the word of his grace. It's interesting that Paul would say it this way. But again, understanding that the word of his grace builds you up and that it gives you the inheritance. That's Paul's point here. This word of grace has power in God's people. And so he's trusting God's work through the word of his grace to his people. But ultimately, what I want to point out to you is that trust is what makes all of this work. Trusting God that He is going to be good to you no matter what, even through your elders. That God is still good. So God can still use a very clear mistake by one of your elders. And God, because he is infinitely above us and has planned every step that we take. He's powerful enough to work even that for your good. That should make a difference when you think, how can I trust and walk forward with these very broken men? I can trust God. I can trust Him. And listen, if you can trust in God and His Word, then you can selflessly give. That's Paul's point here. If you trust in God, then you can give of yourself. You can have real community with each other, and you can have real relationship with your elders if you trust God. 
Notice here in this passage what's happening at the end. Their relationships are being torn apart. They were close. They loved each other. They trusted each other. They had the truth that they were focused on together. They were exposed to each other. They had tears together. And now they're tied together in community, a real bond. And it's being ripped apart. And Paul says, trust God. I commend to you God. Let me wrap up with some implication here, an application for you. Trust the Lord behind your elders. Again, we struggle with this, right? If if you're honest with yourself, you struggle to trust anybody other than me, myself, and I, right? We all do. I'm the one that's got my best interest in mind, and I'm the one powerful enough to make it happen. We struggle to trust anything other than ourselves. But look at what Paul's doing. So let's, let's step up. Let's step up from the, the trees here for a few moments. Um, Keller was helpful in pointing out this. If you step up from the trees for just a moment, look at what Luke is doing here. This is how we trust the Lord when it comes to placing our lives in genuine relationship under the care of elders. Jesus in Luke 9. If you go back and read Luke 9, what is Jesus doing? He has his his eyes, his heart, his mind is set where? Jerusalem. Going to Jerusalem. And he knows what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. He's going to die. He knows this. The same author, Luke, here in Acts 20, what's he say? Paul is constrained by the Spirit to go where? Jerusalem. What awaits Paul in Jerusalem? Death. Like, at the very least, torment and pain and more trials. So much so, he says, you, you all will never see my face again. Both set to Jerusalem, both laying their lives down for these people. Paul is calling the elders of Ephesus to do the same. He's calling them to model Christ for the people as he's modeling Christ for all of them. That your elders will be held accountable for this, this modeling of Christ and the laying down of their lives for God's people. That people are given elders to help them in a very prominent way see Christ. So Luke is trying to get us to see that what Jesus did, Paul is modeling, and Paul is modeling the elders in Ephesus to do the same thing, to model Christ for God's people. But here's where they're different. Here's where Paul and Jesus are different. And Luke's trying to draw out this for us as well. Everywhere Paul goes, he has companions. He has people. He has friends. They go with him to the very end. Paul's always, Luke goes to great lengths to show us who's walking with Paul all the time. Barnabas, John Mark. 
Uh, he, they're walking with him, and some go this way, and then some go this way. There's new people coming in, and, and that Paul has always got other people through all of his sufferings and trials. In this past couple passages, they, they kept him from going into the theater where he would surely have died. But what does Luke tell us about Jesus? Jesus goes to the garden with his friends, right? Because he was a man, and he needed to be with people. He needed people he could trust, people he could, he could be in tears together with, and he goes to the garden and says to them, hey, I'm in my greatest moment of suffering. Pray with me. Pray with me. Jesus goes and prays, and what's he come back? He's all alone, right? Because they had fallen asleep. All that is is a foreshadow of what was going to happen to Jesus the next day. Where he would be on the cross and he would be all alone. He would be the most lonely man in human history. As his father turns his face away, Here's what, here's what Luke is trying to point out to us at this point in the book of Acts. Is that you don't have to do it alone. Why? Because Jesus did it alone. Because Jesus went to the cross and ultimately was alone when his father turned his face away. He went through loneliness so that you and I first and foremost, could do it together in right relationship with God, but so that we could also be in relationship with each other. That we don't have to be all protectionistic. That we don't have to hide all of our sin. We don't have to justify our sin to each other. We don't have to live in isolation. We don't have to be skeptical of church authority. That we can be humble. We can be gracious. We can follow and we can submit our lives. Why? Because Jesus was alone bearing the weight of loneliness that sin always causes in our lives. Sin leads to loneliness. Because sin says, I've got this. I don't need you. I can figure this out on my own. It's the same thing that happened in the garden. God, we don't need you. We can figure this out ourselves. And then what happened to Adam and Eve? Loneliness between the two of them too. Now they had to cover themselves for they were ashamed of their nakedness. And what it creates, sin created loneliness in Adam and Eve. And Luke is saying, look, this is where Jesus is different than Paul. He's different than you and I. He's different than your elders. Jesus was alone bearing the weight of your sin so that you don't have to be alone. That you can have deep relationships with each other. That you can have meaningful relationships with your elders. And ultimately you can be right with God because Jesus took the payment for your sin. Believe and trust in Him. It makes a difference. It changes the way we view walking under the care of elders. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your loving kindness to rescue us. 
Father, it's, uh, Father, to take the loneliness that was ours, that was due to us, or the loneliness that our sin causes, where we, where we don't want to do this with other people, we don't want to walk this life with other people, we don't want to, to be under the care of other people because we got this, we, we got to figure it out. And, and so sin drives a wedge between people as it surely drove a wedge between your son and yourself. But Father, we don't have to live in that. We don't have to live with elders, both for elders and for the people. Father, we, neither of us have to live with this wedge in between us that sin drives. We don't have to be alone in eldership. We don't have to be alone in following and being a sheep. We don't have to be alone because Jesus was alone. He took the punishment for our sin. He took it so that we could be exposed in a good way, in a marvelous way, where we see the mighty word of grace at work in us. I just ask you to help your sheep follow well. Father, help your elders to lead well, lead faithfully. I'm sorry for where we've messed up. I'm sorry for where, Father, we'll mess up tomorrow. May we not test your grace, but trust in its sufficiency. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand?